we were the first digital team that kind of went live with the iPhone 7 and the iPad Pro and they would give us regions, right? Like this traditional large agency, you have APAC or you have North America, you have South America, you have the Europe. Back in the day, Facebook would give you the reach and frequency tool where you'd be like, all right, I need to make sure I hit at least every single person that lives in this region. And we need to hit them multiple times, two to three times. We need about a million to $2 million a day, like depending on the region you're in charge of. And it was someone that's spending massive money and I was like, for what? I can't track any of this stuff. I don't know if I'm doing a good job. You're listening to The Liftoff Show, the podcast for ambitious e-commerce entrepreneurs, helping you increase sales, profits, and build a powerhouse brand fast. I'm your host, Austin Lovell, and welcome to the show. G'day everyone and welcome back to the Liftoff Show. Today, we've got a long-awaited guest, someone I've been wanting to chat with for a really long time now and we have Nick Shackelford. Nick, if anyone who's listening doesn't know who you are already, do you just want to introduce yourself and tell us what you're up to in the e-com space? Man, if, from, the, from the feedback I'm getting, if you're not getting hit with some ad from, from me somewhere, then like, I'm, not, I'm not spending enough money, that's for sure. I love this world, I love this space. I've been doing it for about seven years, but my name is Nick Shackelford, like you alluded to and paid media, right? Like I am, I am now turning into more of like a more just general business as we're getting to about 150 uh, clients and over hundred employees. But I am a true media bar performance marketer. It's been a wild ride. We all know what's happening with iOS as we all know it's with like evolution of brand and all know of like the pandemic making everybody buy online. Like it's been, it's been like four years in the last one year. So it's weird. I was like, I don't think I've just been in this industry for this little period of time. I feel like I've been in this way longer because last year felt tremendous. I think you would agree with that, right? Yeah, everything's sort of compacting down. I've only been in the space for a very, very short time. And so it feels like it's been last week, whereas, you know, everything's moving so quick. And if we were to throw it back to, I guess, the early days of you being involved in e-com and brand building, I remember watching some of the original videos on Founder and some of your old content. And it was talking about starting with, you know, fidget spinners and brand building at Apple and running ad campaigns, like huge budgets. Before we get into, I guess, the the tactics and the up-to-date strategies, do you just want to go back in time, go in the way back machine and tell us a bit of the origin story? Yeah, I would love to. This is probably one of the favorite things. I'm looking over to the right of me because I have like all the brands that we've been partnered with. And the one that stands out is the box of Fidgely, which is what we launched with my current partner, Jake, in 2017. It was like the first time I really cracked it. So before that, I was I was a failed soccer player. Dude, like I have the first brand I ever launched, which is my goalie glove company called Keep Air. And I was like, dude, I am I'm an American. I'm a six-foot goalkeeper. I'm probably gonna have a career until I'm like 30 and I'm not gonna make too much money. Cause at the time, the only people getting paid were Robbie Keane, Bex was there. Like we're we're not we're not cash and fat checks unless you're playing with football or basketball or hockey or baseball. So I, I kind of saw the writing on the wall. I was like, listen, I think it's probably better that I go in the direction of of marketing, or at least I've always had to market myself as a player, right? So you're like, you have to sell yourself to a team that have to buy into you. Your your players have to buy into you. And I was always a captain, and I, I realized like what 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 direction can I go into? And it's in my mind, I was like, I got to work with the biggest brands in the world. My family was very modest. My mom was a dental assistant. My dad was a HVAC guy. So I was like destined for like a $40,000 salary. And which is tough. You know, it's like, oh, this is not the goal. I live in California. I got to make sure I have some sort of dollars. And I got into one, one woman named Rachel Puepke. And I was a goalie coach. I was coaching soccer. And the only dollars I can get was someone paying me 50 bucks to, to kick a ball at a kid. And hopefully I don't hit him in the head and have to pay him to give it back. And she goes, you're interested in marketing, right? I'm like, oh, I am studying, I'm reading. And she was allowing me to sit in on meetings at, at PepsiCo. 
And I was the youngest dude there. I was a millennial, I'm a nineties kid. And I was giving perspectives on things that I had no way above my pay grade. And for whatever reason, I would speak and they would listen. I was like, I think I got, I got the ears of these people. Like they're, they're, they're paying attention. And I remember it was working with BJ's restaurant, which is a, a famous California. It's famous for the Pazuki, like a, a giant cookie with ice cream pretty much and, and pizzas. And we came up with a concept, which is like little kids dress up as young adults because the goal was to sell more pizza, which means they would come in and drink more Pepsi, which is like, okay, that's how they do the promotions. And so I said the idea. And as soon as I said it, the head of shareability, which was the YouTube, which was the agency that was in there goes like, that's a brilliant idea. Let's run with this. And everyone's like, all right, you're in. And I'm like, how do I get paid? Like, how, where's my money? Like, what do I do? And Rachel was like, listen, there's, there's your contractor. Go, go, go work with uh, the team at Apple. And I was like, oh, I would love to do that. At that time, it was right when Tim, Tim Cook was there. And it was a big shift into digital because up until that point, they were just running TV ads. We were the first digital team that kind of went live with the iPhone 7 and the iPad Pro. And I think it was the iPad Pro 1. And then the, the iWatch. And like we were a part of the team of launching it. Dude, we were not optimizing for conversions at that point. This is the, the, the wild thing of doing it is they would give us regions, right? Like it's a traditional large agency. You have APAC or you have North America, you have South America, you have the Europe. Back in the day, Facebook would give you the reach and frequency tool where you'd be like, all right, I need to make sure I hit at least every single person that lives in this region. What's the most money we can spend? And we need to hit them multiple times, two to three times on the impression side. And so you're sitting there going like zero, 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 zero. Okay, we need to make sure that we have at least $75,000 to spend a day. And at that time, you're like, wow, that's kind of wild. And then, oh, what about the region in, in uh, Europe? Like, well, we need about a million to $2 million a day, like depending on the region you're in charge of. And it was someone that's spending massive money. And I was like, for what? I can't track any of this stuff. I don't know if I'm doing a good job. I'm writing reports on views. And at the time, Jake was like, selling soccer jerseys and remember those hoverboards that people would ride in it was like you stand forward and back and forth and jake was jake was making a little bit of money here and there and i was like man that's kind of cool like what do you you're actually seeing the people that are buying it that's weird what is that about and i laughed at it and we talked about it yesterday he launched he, he goes i'm gonna do an influencer buy with this fidget spinner that he found uh see what it works launched the first day made two grand and i'm like whoa i make thirty five hundred dollars before tax uh like i want to do some of that dude what do you what do you got cooking over here and he, he told me, he goes, let's, let's build this. Let's, let's, let's do it. And he was in Missouri at the time. I'm California based, flew him out to California, met some more people, Stefan, who like helped us like build a company, build a real company. And we were just slinging fidget spinners as fast as we can. And that was the first time like, oh fuck, I love marketing and I love spending money. I love cracking angles. That, that's where my brain was at. And that's when Jake was like, dude, I don't want to deal with product anymore. Let's just go to market. And so that put me down my path, Austin, of like, I want to stay in digital and I want to stay in solving these complex problems of who's a customer. Okay. Let's develop that avatar. Who, what's the product? Okay. Where are the margins at? And how many, how many more can I test myself on? Cause you and I both know, like if you're, if you're, you're fresh to the game, but you'll, you'll find something that you crack and you go like, wow, am I that good? Or did I just get everything right? Or did I get lucky? Is there, is it, is it the right timing? And in hindsight, like the reason why fidgetly popped off so well is because price point easy to ship. We could put it in the sleeves, something I didn't even think about. Price was about 25, 30 bucks. Really easy to justify that. It was summertime going into school. So we had the people that like bought it during summer. Then it went into their school. Then the ecosystem of them going like, dude, what is that? Where'd you get that from? Oh, it's a fidgety. And it was that we branded it. So it wasn't just fidget spinner. And so it went from, 
everybody going like, what is that? To everyone going like, oh, I need multiples of these. It was like the, the modern day yo-yo were like, oh, I want a trick one or a colored one. And that, that to me was the first experience of knowing right product, right time, right offer, right demo. And I try to recreate that. I found more and more of these products and I just made hard on performance marketing and product. So you went from goalkeeper kicking balls at young kids' faces and going to brand builder and direct response advertisers. So it's not a normal narrative, is it? I think it's really, really cool because I, I was a goalkeeper as well. I came from that background, but no way. I think it's almost like this same trajectory as well. So it's super interesting because I never knew about that. No way. Well, I, dude, I love playing. I was playing at the LA Galaxy and then I realized like, I'm not gonna make any money there, so I gotta go coach to actually get paid. Why I think, and this is something you probably can relate to, is our job is to save the shot before the shot happens by putting the right people in the position that they need to be in, right? And I'm a six foot keeper, so I don't have the ability to like pull a save out of my ass because I'm six three, six four, and I can reach top bar, right? I had to like fit the right angle, I had to be in the right position, I had to cut off the cut off the cross, I had to do a lot of things that all the tall guys never had to do because I I wasn't big enough. So that in my life it's like been a trend. I'm like I always say this, uh, the Lord blessed me with the broad shoulders because I can handle the weight, right? You're by yourself. You know, if you're a forward or midfielder, ah, my my center back will cover me or my midfield will cover me. A keeper, I'm picking the ball out of my net, my man. I think there's a lot of things that you can apply from other areas and then apply to what you're doing now. And there's a lot of parallels that you don't see until you actually live it. And so if we fast forward now, you know, always having that, I guess, holistic of you trying to put things in the right place so you get the desired outcome. Like if we go ahead now to what you're doing right now, constant creative, structured, you know, performance creative, what's been the focus now with creative and what are you seeing working well? Uh, it's a great segue because I do think there's a lot of things that are applicable right now. And it's just seeing ahead of the curve personally. We we started Constant Creative about a year and a half ago, but we really didn't get into it until like this year when I was like, oh boy, we can't use the right audiences. We can't use this little bit of tactics. We couldn't scale how we used to be. And you, you and I both see it right now. Like you're not seeing a ton of screenshots of account performances. You're not seeing a bunch of like, look at me taking this one account to small spend to millions of spend because it's not as clear information, right? You can't choose the right audiences like you once did before. So what you're talking about is constant creative. That's our on-demand design service that we we looked at our current agency, right? We knew is like the one area of our company outside of copy, which we're trying to solve for now, we couldn't determine the profitability of the output that these designers were creating at the agency. And we're at the time going like, I've never gone through a pandemic. I'm a 30 year old younger entrepreneur I really, I want to make sure we got overhead covered, right? We have, we have mouths to feed, hard stop. Like that's, that's all I thought about. We allowed our designers to start to test with doing edits for other people. I'm like, oh, wow. Them doing edits over there made our edits internally a lot better. And so the ability to create about 350 to 400 edits a month currently with our, with our current team, that's just initial edit. That's not people asking for a re-edit or, or, or a mix. That to me is so, so interesting that we pull into. And it's because you can't over index on just targeting our audiences because before we were so gifted and lazy because Facebook made things so easy. Now we're going to like, wait, we have a concept, but we need to actually put in front of it these, these models, male, female, these products, and we have to be able to like change it out in a modular slash like Lego-like way to really determine if that's the reason why people are buying or not. Because before you'd be like, audience, scale it, didn't matter. It didn't matter, dude. Or like budget, 
scale it, niche, scale it. Now you're going, okay, I have to really get more shots, more bites of the apple with more edits and more variations going live. So if I'd say you're going to go like in the last 30 days, and I have these numbers on my desk because I pulled this before to make sure I was prepared. The last 30 days, we've had over 466 submissions of people needing new edits and ads. We're not hot e-com time, right? This isn't Q4. Like this isn't, this isn't Q2 when there's a lot of different offers or a lot of holidays that we're prepping for. This is general summertime or evergreenness. So I anticipate that growing. And it's because people are not as confident in their audiences and they're needing to have their money go a lot longer on the creative that they're investing in because it's expensive. But you don't want to do a single shoot, 5, 10, 15, 20 Gs, and all of a sudden USD, all of a sudden you're like, well, I can't use that ever again. That's hard, man. If it's getting more difficult to advertise and it's sort of weeding out the people that would initially say, cool, I've got creative, I've got audience, it's working, scale it, because they don't know the real numbers. Do you think creative's more important now than it was, let's say pre-iOS 14 or last year before the pandemic started, do you think it's more important now? I do. I do because the leverage you have to pull in an ad account, you can do your bid, you can do your budget, you can do your audience, and you can do your creative. The three other things are very easy to do versus going and being like, oh crap, I got to think about who am I trying to sell to? What am I trying to say here? What page am I dropping them on at? Like we, we manage about five to $10 million a month. Yes, that's dropped over time. Yes, there's brands that are needing to like pull back, of course. They still can't stop spending and there's still ways that they're able to view it, even with the iOS 14 changes, whether it's a Hyros, Get Elevar, we know we have a triple way, there's a couple of brands that we're looking at and an overall MER, but still like you have to make decisions in accounts. It's more important now because it's one thing that you can look at objectively and go like, we're going broad, the budget hasn't changed and we're running to the same page. And the only reason why this is working is because I made a change to this creative. How do I get more of these? And that's, and that's the thing that I'm so, so excited about. And we didn't mean to do it like this. This was supposed to save our butt on the agency side and it turned into something way bigger than anticipated. So what would you say now for someone listening in, they're building that brand, maybe they're thinking about these things actively right now. Do I need more creative? Do I need to dive into these things in more detail? What are you saying to them? Early stage brand owner, you know, around that 10, 30, 40K a month mark in rev, and they want to build it up to a, like a household name, a real powerhouse brand. And so what are you telling them right now? I'm sure you've had this conversation so many times, but what are some of the important things they need to be doing right now? I think this is a great direction. I'll take it two different ways with you because this is oftentimes the brands that we talk to. On average, we're talking to brands in the United States. Brands that we're talking with are doing anywhere between 1.5 million to about 75 million consistently. Now we have some lower than that, sure. We have some a little bit higher than that, but the bulk of the brands that are coming in are right within that range. And the first thing that I'm asking them, I'm not asking about their website. I'm not asking about anything. I'm asking who's creating your content and what's the most consistent amount of content you're able to get and who's doing it, right? Because it's the most expensive part. You have to pay for the traffic. We, that's a given. I don't ask questions around that. And everybody always says the same thing. I'm willing to spend as much as I can as long as you're profitable. Me, you and me both, dude, trust me, you and me both. But if you, if you can't articulate to me the type of content that you know you need to get or the content that you, you're consistently getting, I can't do my role because it still has to be heavily on you on the brand side to think through like, what, what am I trying to sell? What am I trying to create here? And I, and I start with this on the creative side. I said, let's start with polar opposites of tests. A very raw UGC produced product of someone speaking about it. I would go a male and I'd go a female. At that point, if you're like, okay, I don't think that's enough for me to test. I'd go various races, male and female with the product. 
that's going to hit and that's going to communicate to different people. We didn't have to think about that before. It's uncomfortable. I even feel a little bit like hot when talking about this. People weren't in, being inclusive in a lot of the creative, whether you, whether you have a, a pre-existing belief of how your brand is being perceived, that's a bias. That's your bias as a brand owner. That doesn't matter because everybody else is buying their product. When you buy your product, and I don't think you've ever been asked, I don't think I've been ever asked this. It doesn't ask me where I'm from or like you get my information, but it doesn't ask me my ethnicity. We have hard numbers on this. Showing different individuals in the creative is very important. So I would ask them, let's go UGC across the various races and ethnicities that you believe would be the right person to buy this product. Second, you're probably not creating something completely brand new. You're probably iterating on something or you are trying to reinvent something that's already there unless you have some wild idea. And that way I would still say this is still applicable. Go to Amazon or go to Reddit. Go to the number one product or brand that's closest to what you're trying to do and go look at every one of your reviews. Every one of these reviews on a five-star and on a one-star are going to start using these, what we like to call like general layman's terms, terms that are comfortable to the consumer to use or experiences that are comfortable for the consumer to articulate. You put it into a tool called monkey learn word cloud. If you just Google that up, that'll pop for you. And you're going to start seeing these trends bubble up. And I'll use a product that we're using, which is a pillow called Nuzzle. Nuzzle is a brand new pillow. And it has the ability to be a thin, thick, or firm pillow with different inserts. I never had to think about a pillow like this. I never even think about my pillow. I'm not going to lie. But if I'm sitting here going like, interesting, I didn't know there were people that really like to have two pillows because one, they slept with it between their knees and they don't want it to be firm. They want it to be thin. Interesting. I want to get that pillow. And this is real because I'm going through his thoughts with them right now. And he's like, what should the landing page look like? I was like, I don't know, man. How often are people buying thick, thin or, or, or medium-sized pillows? And he goes, good question. I don't really have that info. I was like, well, how do we get that info? This happens often. They're going to come and be like, hey, do I need a content package for 10, 15, 20, 30,000? No way. Validate it with a couple of key headlines that you believe in. You, anybody can do this. I would do whatever your key value prop that you think your product solves for, bold color background with just bold words on that and look at CTR. Let that CTR, now I'm not saying that's going to give you a clear indication of what ROAS and performance is going to be like, but you can infer on the amount of clicks and time spent on site from that specific UTM code in Google Analytics. You'll be able to see that they clicked on this one image and the headline was, I need a firmer pillow, don't you? Versus someone saying like, I need a thinner pillow my neck hurts, don't you? Like now you can start getting these bold text overlays and spend a little bit of money and get some initial smoke before you actually light the fire. That's the shit that like I, I would do from the very beginning because you don't necessarily know which direction you're going to. And most likely you don't have a ton of cash to burn. Mm, so instead of assuming right from the start and pumping all of this money into expensive creative, you just keep it very simple. We test, once you understand, you find that winner, from that test, I'm sure you might find it's either firm or soft. Once you find either of those, then it's like, cool, let's go aggressively into that. Let's pump more into creative and let's ramp this up. And so it's starting small and then growing once you know. It, it, exactly, because you, what we don't have is unlimited money. Generally have more time than money, right? Like, you know, unless you don't, then like hit me up. Like I got, I got something to sell you. But taking your time and being thoughtful in those initial tests. And it's, we used to look in like, how am I going to scale this account? And I'm more looking at like, how do I progress into better learnings to have more consistency? Like that, that's where the terminology went from like, how do I go from zero to a million to like, how do I go from zero to a couple hundred thousand to a couple more, a couple hundred thousand to then a million, which is progressions of testing. And like, but the name that we didn't mean to do, but it now makes more sense in hindsight is like structures. Like we try to operate in structures because it's clear for someone to like, 
unroll it like oh why did that work oftentimes you'd be like i don't know why it's working there's seasons for this like black friday cyber monday i don't really give a shit at the moment if it's working you better pour more money onto that thing now if it isn't working then now we have to unroll it but you still have to have that clear setup of what's happening inside the account which is oftentimes a good organization a good naming convention and clear clear angles that you're testing and it's not sexy but it's clear and what's what is sexy is like consistent revenue and that's the goal and direction i'm trying to head into no i think that's super important and just to finish up i want to wrap it up with this last question and say how do brands get a competitive edge right now we're moving ahead towards you know q4 pretty rapidly uh, towards the tail end of this year and things i assume are only going to get more difficult with advertising and the real you know advertising ninjas are going to emerge the brands that know how to do this kind of stuff and that do it really well so if you were to give a brand a superpower right now what would it be what is that one trait that you think brands need right now in order to stand out and i guess build into household names that's a fantastic question, dude. That's a really good question. The three types of things that a brand needs right now to make sure that they're A, to continue to build interest, B, continue to build LTV, and C, like continue to raise their AOV, like those three key things, is what part of your business, what product in your business can be looked at as like something to build towards anticipation. What I'm talking specifically about is your business have the ability to do limited drops or are quantity gating or collaborations that's limited that allows you to raise the value of or, or, or charge a little bit more because the anticipation of something coming that not everybody has the ability to get access to is what we're seeing keep us through these lull keeping the brands that are working consistently is because they're able to do a drop every couple of weeks or even once a month or even a couple of times a quarter because they get this large influx of new customer acquisition second you have to get your aov you must get your aov above 68 dollars very specific is because we actually have those numbers. The higher you are, above, closer to 70, 75 bucks, you're giving give yourself enough room, especially if you're running stateside, especially if you're running on the send. And what is their secondary product? Like you probably have one giant hero product that's driving majority of revenue. What's the second thing you can get into this? How can you get it as quick as possible to being like, if you buy this, the better experience would be with the second product that you're putting into it. That's something that I think should take more of your time and effort into. And then the final, which I didn't talk about earlier, and it's something that I'm going into the direction of, is like, how do I build better landing pages or advertorials or what, what one of my partners, James, calls farticles or like fake articles to sell a product a little bit better that's directed for e-com? It's not just like an info product or, or like a widget. Like, how do you let it be a real type of story that's painting and speaking to an avatar that's right before you hit the landing page rather so you're not just going from like ad all the way to product page and there's no real story or why you're buying and traffic sources like outbrain and taboola and native and like less intent built traffics the people know what i'm talking about they, they have to run these type of things before the product but what we're seeing is if we can't control a lot of the metrics or, or changes on the platform, but we can get some good insights around like page time and like completion of content or buttons clicked or or it's moving off of into like the final page, we have a little bit more data points to, to understand what we can optimize. So I know I'm trying to figure that out and that's a race for, for us in the industry. So if anybody else is ahead of me there, keep going down that path, keep building that as well. Nick, it's been awesome to have you on the show. There's, I'm going to be listening to this over and over and soak up as much value as I can. So I hope everyone listening has got huge amounts of value out of it as well. So look, I really appreciate your time and, and thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Austin. This has been really fun. I like This has been good energy and great questions, brother.